Welcome to Diversity in Tech podcast, the podcast that brings you expert advice and unique insights on diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. Whether you're a software developer, a designer, a CTO or a people manager, we're here to help make your workplace more accessible, open and equitable. This podcast is brought to you by Dint, diversity and inclusion in tech. Join our global community by visiting us at dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com. I'm Davina. And I'm Richard. And we're the co-founders of Dint. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast on bias in AI. We have three experts on this topic who all come from from very different perspectives with us today. And of course, Rich, my co-host. So I will let them introduce themselves in a second. But uh, just to summarize, we have Divya Dwivelli, who is an expert in AI from a legal perspective, so she's one of Indian's top lawyers on the subject. We have David Railton, who is a senior manager in what is, I think, the UK's leading consultancy on AI. And then we also have Grania McKnight, who's over in Berlin and is the founding data scientist at a startup called Spoke AI. So, so very different perspectives from three different countries. Uh, so I think it's going to be fascinating to to learn a bit more about this topic today. So Divya, did you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, welcome everyone, obviously from my side. It's uh, 8.30 here and it's uh, quite a noisy evening. It's Monday evening. Um, my interest lies in AI because I'm an engineer by profession as well. And I enjoy learning more and more about it as an in the perspective of how it will affect the legal fraternity plus how to keep it more um, human-centric, how to make sure it is going in the right direction of ethics and responsibility. For me, ethics do not come uh, solely by the coding or whatever we feed the AI with. It's about the kind of uh, people who are around the AI. We have our babies and they grow. Whatever we feed them, it's the same with AI, and I feel that it is kind of human baby, and we have to treat it like that. And uh, given that, uh, I'll stop here. Uh, I do practice law in Supreme Court of India, and I enjoy doing it because I do it from technological perspective rather than only legal perspective. I try and make sure that I put in as much effort as in understanding law as well as technology. Thank you, Davia. Um, David, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thanks so much, Davina. It's lovely to be here with everyone talking about this today. Uh, I suppose the interest and and kind of importance for this topic of algorithmic fairness is is really central to what we do at faculty, because increasingly we see as AI is used to, to solve more and more complex problems, the impact of generating unfairness in algorithmic tools becomes more and more severe and and more difficult to track and explain. And that's some of the issues that we've been grappling with very recently. So I think a really timely moment to check in and try and grapple with these these problems and understand them better together. Thanks, David. And, and last but definitely not least, Grenya. Hi, nice to be here with you 
you all. My name is Grania. I'm from Ireland originally, but now work in Berlin as a founding data scientist at Spoke.ai. We are using AI to improve workplace communication and automating alignment. So ethics is very important to us. And especially since we're using large language models, we're really trying to be proactive about detecting and mitigating algorithmic bias. My background included working in both N26 and in Adyen, both fintech organizations here in Berlin, but also in Amsterdam, where since we worked on financial crime, uh, ethics was also really central because every day the models made decisions that impacted individuals' lives. So could we start by, I mean, I think everybody's probably heard of algorithmic bias in, in the newspapers. There's quite often a story on it these days. But what does it, what does it really mean for an algorithm to be biased? First, I think the term is still quite subjective. So you hear a lot of different definitions. But the one I found most useful is basically a model or a process which leads to outcomes which are systematically less favorable favorable to individuals within a particular group, usually a protected group, such as a group defined by ethnicity or gender or nationality, and where there is no relevant difference between groups that justifies such harm. Fascinating. So do we have examples that are already occurring, and you don't have to name the organizations, but are there real life examples where we're seeing this in modern day? Many. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite, because I think it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, is when there is algorithmic bias in hiring algorithms, because of course, then it leads to unrepresentative teams, which then can further worsen the problem of algorithmic bias. And there is one infamous example from a tech giant who used a natural language model to parse CVs. Uh, so read CVs and basically predict whether an individual might be a good fit for the company. And what happened was that the algorithm picked up on gendered terms and started penalizing for them. So if two individuals with identical CVs, but one played on the women's basketball team in college and a second on the men's basketball team in college, the algorithm would pr promote that one which played on the men's basketball team. The engineer spotted this, so they programmed the algorithm to ignore these gendered terms. But what they found was it instead picked up on implicitly gendered terms. As an example, I think they had the verb execute to execute appeared far more frequently among CVs from men than from women. Uh, and so it began to pick up on that and reward the verb executed. So in the end, they retired this algorithm. That's just one of many examples uh, I think I've come across. Building on that picture that that Grunya's just set out for us. The problem here is that an algorithm or a machine learning approach is really limited by the data that, that you feed it. And if you feed it a data set, as occurred in this example, which itself contains biases, perhaps more men had been previously hired than women because either of certain you know human processes that existed in an organization or simply down to application figures then all the algorithm will do it'll reproduce those gaps and continue the trend and of course we're at a really important moment where lots of these systems are switching over from human run processes to data centered processes 
where if we don't catch ourselves now, then what we're going to do is we're going to make the problem worse by baking these hard rules into the, the algorithms which govern our lives. So I guess, Divya, are we kind of back to what you were saying earlier about the baby? Do we need to teach the baby like the right rules as soon as possible? For me, from both of their examples, what I came, definitely AI has become a lot biased because it differentiates in between colors. It differentiates in between genders. Thinking about the fairness part and how to put it in a baby, how to make it less biased. When it comes to fairness, we have to find a way how to input the fair amount of data of whatever you are putting in, it is affecting. However, we behave around the babies, they always have questions. That's, that's made me think, Ashby. Thank you, Divya. Um, that it's, I, so I was going to ask you all next about how to stop this happening, right? But I, it's occurred to me that the first thing we need to do is to recognize that it is happening. Because, for instance, the hiring one that you talked about, Grenya, I'm guessing there was a length of time where this thing was running and doing that before someone realized. Is there like a, a, a way that these things are, are caught effectively? It's something that is quite new, but there is being built into model development processes uh, checks on model fairness. So when you as a data scientist or any uh, organization working with AI um, are about to release a product, ideally you test your model for accuracy and various other things. But in addition to that, now people are beginning to apply what are referred to as fairness metrics to their models to test whether the model is in fact fair. Um, and there are lots of tools out there to help people do this. I think there's the what if tool from Google uh, where you can kind of upload a data set and it will output some fairness metrics. There's FairLearn from Microsoft. There's SageMaker Clarify from AWS. And these are all tools to help you calculate these fairness metrics, which are some measure of how fair your, your algorithm is. But the difficulty with these is that you need to, in fact, have information about the protected attributes in order to test whether or not the algorithm is fair. And that's a little tricky because often you don't want to collect that information because it's, it is protected information. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. That implementing the, the these fairness tools and what I would think of as a monitoring framework that's built into the deployment of of your model in order to continually check um, whether there have been any changes or, or or issues creeping into the data set that would generate unfairness. Often the limitation here is data and the that ground truth data around the protected characteristics. Of, of the population that you're trying to monitor. Um, there are lots of uh, experimental ways to try and get around this. Um, one could, for example, um, create your own kind of fake data or, um, or, or generate fake individuals of which you know the protected characteristics because you've invented them and use them as a, as a representative population to test your models. But yes, this is... The, the kind of key difference, of course, the, the the ideal here would be for you to be able to to capture protected information characteristics, obviously privately um, and safely, 
about the population who are using your model, but often that's just not possible just because it's information that, that understandably people don't want to, to give uh, an AI model or because the very nature of what you're trying to do with that model prevents you from being able to capture that information. And is it always the data or are there other things that come into play as well? A lot of things can go wrong, I would say. One thing is just giving the model, even with the right data, giving the model the right problem to solve. A great example of this I came across not too long ago about STEM job advertising. So jobs in engineering, mathematics fields. And what the ads algorithm was doing was optimizing for click-through rate for lowest cost. Um, And while both males and females click through at the same rate for these jobs, Uh, women are actually more expensive to advertise to, apparently. (laughs) So the algorithm showed these job postings to more men than to women. And this wasn't like a data problem. Um, It had the right information, but it was because it was optimizing for lower ad costs. um, And it wasn't optimizing for building a balanced workforce, for example. So I think not only do you have to have the right data, but you have to have the right problem and you have to be able to describe that problem well to whatever machine is trying to solve it. I suppose just to follow on from that, I think thinking about the context of the the, the population that you're trying to to be fair towards or that you're trying to avoid biases in is, is also key. And often there are kind of contextual mistakes um, that are made about which different groups you are trying to balance. So the kind of classic example of this is the Berkeley admissions story around Berkeley trying to understand why it was getting uh, a disproportionate mix of of men and women applying across its courses and why there weren't enough women applying and what they had to understand in order to, to to target the problem was to break the problem down to the department level rather than looking at admissions across the entire university. And what that allowed them to do was to understand the specific departments where there were imbalances in, in application rates that were driving the eventual difference between, between men and women getting onto courses. But it's often this context shift that... Uh, a company using an algorithm needs to go through it needs to understand exactly which population it's targeting and it's trying to balance for rather than just looking at the problem at its simplest level. Grenya, I think you mentioned something about the alignment problem can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah this is exactly what I think we're we're talking about and since Divya I love your baby analogy I'll give a, a sort of baby example <laughs> So I came across this in another podcast, but a father was trying to teach his his youngest son uh, to use the potty and he got his elder son to help him and he wanted the elder son to be motivated to help the younger son to learn. So he would reward him with a sweet every time he helped him. But then what happened was the older brother started force feeding the younger brother liquids to make sure he had to use the potty more often so he could maximize his reward of of sweets. So the problem here was that the, the father's true goal, which is to get the younger son to learn how to be potty trained, 
uh, wasn't aligned with the reward function he had set up for the elder son. And this really happens very frequently in data science is when you know the problem and you know your goal, but then you can't translate it into a good reward function for the algorithm to learn from. So I think there needs to be more thoughtful construction of reward functions for algorithms and making sure that we're rewarding in a way that's in, in line with our own ethics. That's a great analogy. That, that really helps. It certainly helps me understand it. And before we move on to, to maybe talking about how a little bit more about what organizations can do and that kind of thing, I'm interested to, to bring back in the kind of the legal, you mentioned ethics there, Granny, the legal and ethical side. So my understanding is different countries have different uh, regimes. Let's say some, some legislation is starting to come in or some other organizations are just being careful because it's the right thing to do or they might generate negative publicity but Divya what's your take on on where we are across the world in in terms of legislation versus people monitoring these things uh, because it's the right thing to do the focus primarily is always on uh, principle of equality privacy and security uh, transparency accountability uh, safety and responsibility which caters to cyber security as well and then uh, the principle of protection and reinforcement of positive human values this is uh, the principle which india has been following we do not have an ai bill as of now but we have a paper by our ministry niti ayog that explains these kind of principles are going to be inculcated in the kind of ai work which we will be doing and these are pretty much uh, followed almost everywhere there are 14 principles which are followed by brazil it's taken totally from oecd when we are talking about um, a concept called mens rea where what thought process is in the mind when a person is planning a crime or doing a crime isn't the same kind of concept we are inculcating in ai as well that check only for fairness check only for safety security check only for trust we cannot stick to only regime we have to expand our horizons because as humans also we are not flawless so we cannot expect a whole ai system to be flawless so when we are talking about being ethical or moral for that matter we have to understand that if humans have not been totally responsible trustworthy ethical and moral how can we expect ai which we are building to be totally trustworthy so whatever output we will get from ai be it fair or not we'll get the output as we humans have given output for divya i just want to touch on something that you just said, which I think is really interesting about the fact that we're replacing human systems with with AI systems. And I think that in lots of contexts, we're going to have a really difficult choice around replacing what could be a, a, a quite obviously biased human system with an AI system, which could also be biased, but would hopefully be less biased. And I think that that's going to create a few moral conundrums. I mean, in a lighthearted way, in some sports at the moment, uh, AI models are replacing the the decisions of, of referees. And overall, this is thought to be a good thing because it's thought that lots of refereeing decisions were low quality or, or biased towards certain teams, like the home team, for example. But at the same time, people are very angry when they find 
problems with these new technological models that they're implementing to to, to replace the referees. And I think that the might similarly in other contexts we might have to have that debate as well about whether a slightly flawed ai system is superior to a very flawed human run process it is an excellent point it's at what stage if we're going to when we use ai on a on a critical scale are we confident that it can act on our behalf and then how do we get around that problem yeah exactly and i think it links back to what gronje was saying earlier about one trying to be able to quantify the failures of of the model and then secondly also being able to explain why uh, an algorithm is is outputting the the information or the decision that it is if if one can explain the the reasons for why a model made a decision then you can hunt down more easily the causes of any bias that might be um, the outputted by the model and also reassure the public as well that the problem is solvable. And going again back to this lighthearted football example, I think one of the reasons that, that the public is frustrated with situations like that is because of the lack of explainability and the lack of transparency in the use of the, the tool. Yeah, I totally agree. I think... When you think of other infrastructures we have in our life that make decisions on our behalf, which are many, they're usually institutions or governments. When people have trust in those um, institutions, it's usually because of transparency. I mean, the Bundestag here in Berlin, um, if you haven't visited, I'd recommend, has this glass dome that is meant to symbolize exactly the people being able to take a look in at the decision-making process in the government. And I don't think we have that last dome yet for the world of AI. And I also think what's important about a lot of government and institutions is representation. So allowing a diverse representation of all interest groups, uh, which does not yet exist in AI, and also allowing the population a say in 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 the direction of of the field like AI, um, and I think it's still quite a closed community, and there is not a huge amount of public discourse about these topics. And AI ethics is not just for data scientists to decide; it's for everybody to decide. And that's a really wonderful way of putting it, Divi. With that glass dome, is that something that would be a fundamental building block to? to your concerns and, and help you? I would say we are not even talking about it in India. It makes me feel a little bit sad because I really want everything to reach to as many people as possible so that we can understand their perspective as well. I think AI should always be there for everyone because so we have to reach out to those people who are not even aware about what we are talking about. How do you see things, David? Because I know that you come from a kind of public sector policy background. I was just thinking that when Divya was talking, and obviously I'm guessing that you're doing work across the private and public sectors um, with with your company. How do you see that panning out? Yes, I I think in the UK there are already reasonably strong legal imperatives for government agencies to, to really carefully think about these problems and to start building the remedies that we've already discussed around monitoring systems and fairness metrics into their 
solutions. And that's because fundamentally of the public sector equality duty that we have in the UK, where if a an organisation has a duty to one, consider how the things that it does impacts against people's protected characteristics. And two, if it's aware of anything that does, it has a duty to try and solve that immediately. Um, and, and I think that that creates the right conditions for, for certainly the public sector to adapt to this. It could also, of course, um, you know, act to stifle innovation as well. And so I think that it's really careful that those two objectives are balanced and that for obviously in, in processes where it's really, really important that, that they're fair, this should be absolutely implemented, but it shouldn't stifle lower stakes uh, innovations or, or tools that might be needed to improve the, the way that the public sector operates. Thing in the private sector, the position is a lot more mixed. And I think it will come down to public feeling and sentiment around AI. I think if there is wider awareness through people listening to podcasts or people understanding how algorithms are replacing human decision makers in, in certain aspects of the private sector, I think that that will create more of a clamor for the monitoring technologies and the explainability technologies that we've mentioned so far to become more commonplace and demanded of private sector processes, particularly in really high stakes areas like people receiving loans or, um, or being recruited into organizations or other kind of financial support. Thank you. I was thinking it might be just nice to wrap up um, with with maybe one piece of advice from all of you to to people out there who who are either working in a technology organisation so need to to can, can actually make a difference in their day to day work life or maybe just people who are, are citizens don't directly work in technology but but maybe need to be asking the right questions. What I don't want people to walk away from this podcast is scared. So if I have one piece of advice is that. AI, yes, has its risk, but it also has massive opportunity to improve people's lives and, in fact, reduce bias. Because as we discussed, human-based processes are often, if not invariably, have bias as well. So I think it's all about being conscious about how and where you use AI. Use it where it brings value, which are in many, many applications and and try and ensure that it is fair. I think that, that the recent pandemic has demonstrated actually how lots of um, AI tools can be used for good. The use of data to really specifically um, track the, the, the spread of the pandemic across the globe and to, to rush ventilators to the right parts of the country um, to distribute vaccines and other kinds of medication across the globe has been a really good example of how um, AI models have been able to to suck in all the relevant data feeds and to, and to advise policymakers and, and people on the ground very, very quickly. But I suppose that the story of that is also one of constantly checking ourselves and updating our models. You know, the pandemic has thrown lots of changes on us and lots of uh, changes to our basic assumptions as well. And I think that that's also the story of how we should approach the problems of bias in our models. We should approach it iteratively, not trusting what we thought yesterday, but not 
allowing that that lack of trust to to stop us using them and to stop us trying to get better and the beginning of this podcast we talked about how there was a danger that if we just trusted data from the past and the decisions that humans used to make then there was a risk that our models were just going to replicate that but i think that also this is an opportunity for if we do put in place the right culture and the right systems to 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 understand what our algorithms are doing there's the opportunity for us to get better and better and better and 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 fall upwards as well and so i suppose that my advice would be that just an injection of of common sense and and humility will allow us to do that over the next few years as as we design these systems uh, for me it is always about being aware so that you are not scared you are not fearful so be aware think about your and other people's uh, privacy and uh, security other than that at last be very very human because something which pandemic has taught us be human think about humanity first everything else will be there in place if you are there so be careful be aware and be as sweet as possible to everyone just don't force feed anybody <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you all so much for your time. I think we've learned, I've certainly learned an, an awful lot today. Um, and, and we've had discussions that I've never personally had before. So it's really opened my eyes to, to what's going on in the world of AI. And I'm sure our listeners will be um, equally fascinated. Thank you so much for your time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity in Tech podcast. For more information or to join our global community, visit dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com.